You're after something. Is it revenge? Money? Or is it something else? You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together a crew. I'm a driver. And I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? You got a line on a ship? Yeah, I know a guy. He's the best smuggler around. I heard a story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true. <laughs> L3! Let's go with a mean man's face. Who are these guys? If you come with us, you're in this life for good. You might wanna buckle up, baby. give you some advice. We assume everyone will betray you, and you will never be disappointed. I got a really good feeling about this. Since when do you know how to fly? 190 years old? You look great. Push it! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro. I'm joined today by what has become my Star Wars review duo of Dr. Bill Robinson. Ooh, I'm a duo now. I'm that big? Yes. You, 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 I can't even think of a good line, but yeah. <laughs> and, and along yeah. with us, you hear the laughter from the award-winning radio host, Scott Rifen. Correct. You, you didn't win an award for your pronunciation of the word correct. No. I won, <laughs> I, you know what I did? You know, the award I just won in December was the uh, the Georgia School Board Beacon Award. Okay. And I thought it what, exactly, what exactly is the criteria for that award? Uh, you have to do something to contribute to the state of education in your community. Uh, it is awarded by the Georgia School Boards Association. Uh, I got the media award, and I think there's only one in the state of Georgia per year. So uh, it was very bad. exciting. Yeah, it's not no, bad at the all. Beacon it's, Award. It's a nice compliment. Yeah, it was yeah. very nice of them to nominate me. Much less, you know, it's an honor to be nominated, but it was cool to win too. Yeah, that's. I mean, and, and here I thought you got the Tri County Checker Champion Award. Not yet. Uh, mm. I, I barely lost out on that one, but mm. next year, that's my year. So we are here today to take a look at Solo, a Star Wars story, and I have to say that as this was approaching, my thought process was, I'm not even sure if I'm going to go see this in the movies, and let me take that a little further, because it wasn't that I said, oh, this is going to be horrible, but I kind of had the thought process of, I'm not hearing any buzz whatsoever, Mm -hmm. so this may not be the end-all and be-all, and unless I start hearing some positive buzz, 
I don't know that I that I want to go out of my way to see it. Then I'm hearing all this stuff about the box office on it, and I'm also hearing from the people who are in our circle who've seen it that no, it was pretty good. Yeah. So we had an opening to go see it. We went to see it. I just to give the you know the thumbnail sketch. I pretty much enjoyed it, uh, and I really put a lot of blame for this box office failure on Disney's overconfidence at the box office that I think we've seen a few times now that just assuming they have a built-in audience that's going to come without them promoting their properties. Yeah, I would mm-hmm. say timing, marketing, and oversaturation. They well, need, I guess I but I, I think timing. you can live with the oversaturation if you build up a buzz for it. And right. I don't think that they thought they needed to build it up. I think they just thought it was built in and it would happen no matter what they did. Yes, I think they think I think they thought, and this is a term I came up with last night because I was thinking about this exact same thing. I think they thought Star Wars was a Teflon brand, and they could put anything out there, and wouldn't have to worry about pushing it hard that it would speak for itself. And I think a lot of what happened here, I don't think there's saturation. I mean, again, you go back to Marvel, and Black Panther comes out in February and makes seven hundred million dollars, and then two months later they put out another seven hundred million dollar movie. Yeah, but um, there was only about what three weeks. Four weeks max between this release and um, Infinity War had just come out. And but I don't yeah, think you're competing sure. with Infinity War. No, no, no. Well, yeah, but you, but there's, but a lot of people only have X amount of money. Yeah. To go see a movie. But, and, but and yes, but you have to remember, Infinity War opened huge, then Deadpool opened huge just a couple of weeks later, and then Solo came out and didn't open huge, and now a couple of weeks later, uh, Incredibles opened huge. So, you know, I don't think you can just lay it at the foot of, well, it's in the middle of the busy summer because people well, no, have historically I mean, chosen more Star like a Wars. combination. Sure. But, now, I, 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 I don't think they marketed The Incredibles a hell of a lot more than they marketed Solo. So I, I, do, think, I do think there was, you know, more of a built-in audience there. I or, think, though, part of it, again, to me, and I was talking about this with some folks, uh, was it last night, this morning? Yeah, last night. Um there's a certain thing that happens with fan. No, I was about this morning with the Roach, with Jeff from uh, Dinner for Geeks. Um, mm. There's a thing that happens where uh, people kind of rely on the Star Wars fan to be the front line, and I think Disney was relying on the Star Wars fan to be front line. And we, you know, we as Star Wars fans get excited about these things, and we talk about them, and we wear the T-shirts and all that, and so people know we're excited about them. And I think after Last Jedi came out, and it was so divisive that a lot of Star Wars fans weren't necessarily 100% on board gung-ho with this movie between the production problems that were very well documented and the fact that there was a lot of turnoff from Last Jedi. I think a lot of people just kind of went, eh, a lot of the fans, a lot of the front lines. And so, you know, I don't know how it is with you, Bill, but like, I know how it is when I'm walking around and there's a new Star Wars movie, people say to me, hey, you looking forward to that Star Wars movie? You know, and if I suddenly answer, and you know, the answer's always been yes, but if I suddenly answer, eh, I don't know then they're not going to be excited to go see it. They're not going to go out of their way to go see it. If I'm not willing to go see it and embrace it, they're certainly not going to take a chance on it. And I think that happened a lot, too. I think the frontline Star Wars fans didn't drive the bus like they like they usually do. Mm-hmm. And I do think I do put some blame for that on Disney, for not getting the frontline fans excited, just assuming yeah. that the frontline fans were excited. And I started yeah. to say, I, I think that they didn't do a hell of a lot more marketing with The Incredibles, but The Incredibles, I think you're going to have a little bit more of a built-in natural audience. I, I, I think I'm almost confusing my terms here, because I think you have a built-in audience for Star Wars that's huge. Mm-hmm. But 
I think you have more of an automatic audience for a movie like The Incredibles because it is so, so all ages that you're going to have a lot of people saying, I have the kids, where are we going to go? Let's go see this movie. It's also been a lot longer since there's, what, like 12, 14 years since the Incredibles film was released? I think you and I, Bill, are going to walk away from this disagreeing on that particular issue because I don't think, <laughs> I don't, you know, I think we both have valid points. I'm not telling you you're wrong or, or huh. I'm wrong. No, here, I'm, tell, but, I'm telling but, you you're wrong, Bill. But oh, okay. I, I think I don't I think that. the I don't think the proximity in time from Star Wars Episode Eight and this is why the audience is lacking. If Star Wars Episode Eight had been universally embraced by the fandom, then everybody would have been drooling for this movie to come out. That I agree with. I'll, I'll when, agree with that. But I was saying, if there had been maybe a longer time frame, like maybe it's been a year, give people time to forget. <laughs> so you know no, what I'm saying? I think, that's, I think, that's, I think that's an angle where his argument works. I think they could have released some things, promoted some things, show some production stills, get some some shorts out there, you know, in commercials to show, you know, little scenes from it, little snippets, get the people excited to make them say, hey, this looks interesting. And I think the Star Wars fans would have come. But I think because of their overconfidence in it, and I think it's, it's you know, you could, you could point to a lot of different uh a lot of different times that, that Disney has done this. I think Disney thought they had a built-in audience for John Carter, which was foolish. I think mm-hmm. Disney thought they had a built-in audience for Tomorrowland. Again, foolish. I think those are both good movies that, that did not do on, at the box office what they should have because Disney didn't market them the way they should have. I, well, I, I, think, I think with Tomorrowland, it was a decent movie, but it wasn't a blockbuster movie. No, but it should have. It it didn't even do decent movie box office. It did almost a hundred. Yeah, that's not. You know. That's nothing in in the yeah. in, in the market at this point. A hundred used to be a hit, not anymore. But it's it's uh you know I think they thought oh you know it's 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 a Disney area you know from Magic Kingdom people are gonna just go you know gravitate for it for that and then we have uh, who was in Tomorrowland I can't even think. George Clooney. George Clooney. Yeah, you have George Clooney. He's going to have a built-in audience, and it just didn't happen. And then you have properties. You know, I mentioned John Carter. John Carter was at one time a really, really popular thing, but that's a long time ago. The, the the general public doesn't have an awareness of that character. So you just have a movie come out that says John Carter. You don't even bother really having a lot of commercials for it, and you think an audience is going to come see it? I mean, it's, yeah. It's I mean, just people foolish. don't remember. People barely remember Tarzan, much less John Carter, if you go into Edgar Rice Burroughs. Yeah, exactly. Even Tarzan, you know, big... you have to promote Tarzan if you're coming out yeah. there. You can't just well, say, oh, it's a new Tarzan movie, people are going to come. Johnny well, Weissmuller we... isn't there anymore. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's only been in the last couple of years when we had a pretty big budget flop of a Tarzan movie. Mm-hmm. So so I think, you know, well, you know Disney's been overconfident. Is, is that we're calling this a flop, and so far for the year... For domestic gross, it's number five, and for worldwide, it's number twelve. Now, mm-hmm. yeah, they were expecting a lot more, but it's still—I mean, it's—it's it's made almost uh, three hundred and forty-four, I think, million. And what was the budget? You know, with well, that's yeah, that's what they yeah. Probably and the budget's like inflated because of a lot of those production problems that Scott talked right. about. Yeah, they're paying. Yeah, well, they reshot seventy percent of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's you know. That's what they, what they're ultimately going to compare it to. They're going to compare it to you know how much in the black are they, and based on the standards I've heard, they're in the red See, still. My yeah. my my son who's sixteen, uh, yeah, pretty sure he's sixteen right now. Who, <laughs> um, you know, he's into Star Wars 
plays a lot of the games. You know, I've dug out some of my old games, although he doesn't really seem to be into the books right now. But, you know, Marvel movie comes out. This movie, uh, when Last Jedi came out, you know, we play Battlefront 2 on the PlayStation all all the time. And I asked him, I'm like, hey, you want to go see the solo movie? He's like, oh, is that out? I'm like, yeah, man, it comes out in two days. Oh, um, yeah, sure. And then Saturday rolled around. I'm like, so, or, or like late fr- fr- I was like, Ben, are we going to go see this? Uh, when, when, uh, we're going to see it sometime tomorrow. Oh, um, uh, yeah, 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 sure. It's like he didn't have the enthusiasm for a 16 year old kid. It's just like it. And I think that's back to, you know, that they didn't market it enough in the right places as, as well. Mm hmm. Kind of, yeah. That was my thought there. There was a thought in there somewhere that I kind of stumbled. <laughs> I mean, I didn't see the enthusiasm for it like for Infinity War three weeks no. prior. No, with, well, with my a, son, from a and buzz with me, perspective, it, no. You know, even with me, I was like, you know, eh, you know, I'll see it. I guess I'll give yeah. it a shot. Now, mm-hmm. once I saw it, that's a different story. I, yeah, which I guess we'll we'll get to that soon. Sure, my son leading into Infinity War, did it a complete Marvel rewatch. I mean, he re- he rewatched everything leading up to, you know, 18 movies leading up to Infinity War. That's how excited he was about it. And yeah, he I didn't do a solo a, rewatch. I think there was a huge uh, anticipation for Infinity War, even though it came two, what is it, two months after Black Panther? Yeah, I, I, I think months. You know, and I don't know how much they built up that, uh, you know, with, with their marketing. But whatever the case may be, it existed, and they didn't need mm-hmm. to do any more than they did. In this instance, they needed to do more, and they didn't. So I think it's a, just a miscalculation. No, I don't disagree with that. So, and that's you know, let's talk a little bit about what our anticipation was going into this. You know, I mentioned I wasn't you know overly excited, and I was waiting. Uh, you know, I, I was waiting to hear some buzz from it before I actually committed to spending money on tickets. And I think, you know, that's the problem is that people like me were out there. Uh, how about you? Now, Scott, I assume you were going to see it no matter what. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, you know, I, the more time has gone on with Last Jedi, the more uncomfortable I've gotten with with it and people's response to it. Um, so I will say that I was a little dampened, but I certainly was planning on going. In fact, uh, turned out iHeart called a regional meeting for the Wednesday and Thursday of the week it came out. And of course I was planning on going to see it Thursday night. Um, and I wound up getting to see it Thursday night, but I had to see the late show Thursday night. So yeah, I, I, I'm still an opening day guy. Mm-hmm. And Bill, when did you see it? I saw it on the Saturday after it came out. Um, just, but I always, I will shun Facebook in social media so that I don't get spoiled because I wanted to see it. I just wasn't, I wasn't going to run out and see it right away. I, I, I had to wait till the weekend. And even if Ben didn't want to see it, I would have probably still gone and saw it, save myself some money. <laughs> now, are you comfortable? Like would you go alone or would you get Jen to go? Oh, she's not going to go. She'd go alone. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not totally comfortable still going to the movies alone. Which I, just I mean, matter, I haven't gone not. to the movies alone in a long time because Ben will go with me. It really you know, shouldn't I mean, matter because it doesn't. You know, once the movie starts, no. you know, it's not like you're sitting there having a conversation anyway. Oh no, yeah. let me let me tell you. When uh, Force Awakens was out, there were a lot of weekends where you know because they pretty much had to kick that movie out of theaters, and there were a lot of weekends where it was like Saturday night, and I'd go, "Hey guys, uh, it's like 
10 o'clock showing of force awakens you want to go and everybody in the house no we don't want to go it's okay well do you mind if i go no go ahead so i would go in fact to the point that this is probably one of the more embarrassing things i could ever tell you guys but uh one week i went to see the force awakens and i had recorded a commentary track for the film with uh, steve glosson and i sat and watched the film and listened to my commentary track while i watched the movie at the theater so, <laughs> did you comment on your commentary i did not i listened, <laughs> that guy's no, an I listened, idiot <laughs> no i listened to the amazing observations that were being spewed before me so yeah I, 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 you I sure be... didn't have to buy a second ticket for your ego yeah <laughs> Sorry, not sorry, that was just too easy. I yeah. couldn't let that one go. No, not this oh. time. All right, so now, so now we're at the point where we're all going to see the movie. And before we get into the details of the movie, what's just your initial impression walking out following a viewing? I liked it. I, I was like, you know, me and Ben were talking about the different stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was pretty cool. That was cool. I was like, yeah, that was, that was better than I thought it was going to be. That was pretty much the initial, you know, yeah. take on it. Yeah, I liked it. I was positive on it, and I remain positive on it. I, I could at least say that much. Uh, and I, I have a, a point that I'm going to make to you guys in a moment because I, I trust that you could give me a little EU uh, information that I don't have already. Mm. You mean uh, ex- expanded universe or EU? <laughs> oh, <laughs> expanded universe. Uh, I did feel that it started a little choppy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it, it found its focus as it went on. And I, I kind of attributed that to the, uh, the directing, uh, change. So, you know, that was my first significant criticism of it, but overall, I still walked out with a thumbs up. Mm-hmm. How about you, Scott? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely did. And, um, I actually went back to see it the next morning because I was going to do a podcast I was going to do an episode of Star Wars Report, and uh, Lord Vader's bothering me there. Sorry I was say, that. he's got something to say. Yeah. and uh, I wasn't in the movie, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually took my equipment because I was I timed it out, and I was like, well, the movie's going to end about the time I have to do the podcast. So I took my equipment to the movie theater, and I knew that there was a, an unused lobby from a previous configuration of that building, and I went up to the people at the theater, and I said, hey, can, uh, can I use your old lobby to set up some equipment, do a podcast. I'm going to be talking about your movie when I'm done. And I said, sure. So I literally finished the movie, jumped up, ran down there, set up my equipment in the lobby, the old lobby of the theater, and did a podcast from there. (laughs) Um, And I will tell you that I've seen the movie three times now, one of them in a Dolby theater, and it gets better. I mean, I enjoy it more every time, and I don't know if it's because, you know, when you go in, you've got that weight of, oh, that production problems and reshoot it, and you're kind of looking for the trouble spots. But it's a it's a better and solid movie the more you watch it. Okay. The baggage well, starts to fall away. All right, so that's something for me. I, I doubt I doubt I'm going to see it a second time in the theater. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when it's when it's available for home video, there's no question yeah. I'll see it again. I, I think I think it stands up to repeat viewings. All right, well, that's that's definitely a positive, and that that does factor into the Is It Yours review scale, uh, which we'll get to later. Uh, mm-hmm. Now. When it comes to Easter eggs, hmm. uh, see, I, when it's something that they, you know, somebody takes a club and beats you over the head with it, I don't consider that to be an Easter egg. <laughs> okay. You know, th- that's a callback as opposed to an Easter egg in my mind. An Easter egg is something where if you see it, you know, you're supposed to think, hey, that's clever. And somebody who's not familiar with the 
material probably won't see it, and if it's done well, it, they won't notice it because you're not being clubbed over the head with it. So if we go yeah. by that definition of Easter eggs, because there were a lot of callbacks, and then there's moments, you know, oh, how he meets Chewbacca. That's not an Easter egg. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's a couple of little things, you know, like the Lando outfit from uh, – Return of the Jedi kind of makes an appearance. Yes. Or, yes. Uh, you know, he's got the thermal nuclear detonator. So there's little things like that. But oh, you mean the rock? Yeah. Oh. I, I can't say that I felt that any of those were, like, really clever, that they made me smile. Well, there's a couple hmm. of hit, hidden but ones I'm in wondering, there. Yeah, I'm Is wondering that what if you're you guys, asking? That's what I'm asking. I'm wondering if you guys saw anything that maybe escaped my view because I'm not quite as into the whole universe as you guys. I'm really just mostly into the movies. All right, I'm going to put a picture up here in the chat and see if you remember, if you can pick out where you might have seen this in the movie. Uh, uh, Vamp, Vamp, Scott. Uh, Well, (laughs) you know, there were many wonderful Easter eggs throughout the film that were placed in many terrific spots and places. (laughs) How's it Um, file? One of the ones I really appreciated was in Dryden Voss's office. Uh, the, oh, I think the, that's the one you're going to steal from me. No, 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 I'm not. I'm going to. I'm, I'm actually trying to walk away from that one and lead you to it. Uh, there's a big skull. Oh, never mind. That is the one you were going. To. That is the one. <laughs> there's a skull in there. Yeah, from the from. It's right there from Solo and the Lost Legacy, the Brian Daly novel. Yeah, I but like that. a lot of people, they like latched onto that saying, "Oh my God, that's from that's they're doing a thing for Indiana Jones," and I'm like, "No, they're not. No. That's from Han Solo and the Lost Legacy, you yeah. moron." Indiana Jones skull was much longer. Yeah. It was not a human-looking skull. Uh, yes. But there was some Indiana Jones right near it. Which I didn't even see that, because I, I was too busy looking at that skull yeah. at first, going, you know what, I've seen that skull. I've seen that skull. Yeah, the fertility idol that he goes and, and fetches at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark is sitting on the shelf right in front of that. Right. Okay, and that and that's an excellent Easter egg. Mm-hmm. Oh, Actually, I love it. And, and they both are, but the difference is, I'm not, again, I'm not an EU guy, so I wouldn't have yeah. made the connection well, to the skull. You know, there were so so few references to the daily novels, which kind of bothered me because I really love those novels, and I was hoping they'd be a little more represented. In fact, I think there were more references uh, to the L. Neil Smith Lando Calrissian novels than there were to the daily novels. Uh, at yeah, one point, oh, sorry, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was I, just going to say he he refers to the Star Cave Nebula at one point. That's from the Smith novels. Lando does. Uh, he refers to Oceon, which is another planet from the Lel Neil Smith novels. Uh, so there's, and, and I think there was something in the Chronicles when Lando's recording the Lando Calrissian Chronicles that there was a reference to those L. Neil Smith books too. Mm-hmm. Well, and then when they're on the mud planet, that's the, that's Mimban, mm-hmm. which is from Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Yep. Which was the first, that was the first EU novel, if I remember correctly. It was. It came out yeah. in 78. And it was, uh, you know, L- Lucas and Alan Dean Foster had worked together on story ideas. And uh, basically, you know, he was trying to put together an idea for a sequel that if Star Wars flopped, they could shoot it cheaply. Mm. So there's not a lot of set changes, not a lot of space battles, not a lot of dogfights. No. Uh, just, just kind of a straight-up novel. It's kind of one of the reasons it's not one of my favorites. But uh, I-, I prefer the daily stuff more. Plus, there's some creepy undertones, or yeah, there's some uh, Luke Leia stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, uh. yeah, there's there's Luke crushing hard on his sister, you know, and, which, and which, this which, is which is what makes me always like, you know, yeah, just scoff when Lucas says he had everything planned oh, out, or yeah, I had well, it planned all along, yeah, because it's because it's Star Wars, not flowers in the attic. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I just, you know, when when Lucas says that, I just think so. So you're, you're trying to claim that you're just a sick, sick individual putting this, <laughs> a guy with a sister like that. Flowers <laughs> in the temple. There we go. <laughs> Uh, and anything else of, of significance to the EU that I wouldn't be aware of? Oh, uh, well, there's the multiple, you know, um, uh, Ben was asked, oh, yeah, Ben a- asked me, he said, why didn't they, why didn't he ever replace the escape pod in the front of the Falcon? And I said, well, one, it was probably expensive, and he probably didn't want to waste the money, and two, from what I remember from the EU, there's a concussive missile launcher hidden inside where that thing would link up now. Well, let's let's go one other step. I think that that uh, skate pod was a pure luxury because that Lando had got for himself. Too. Yeah, it because the ship still has multiple escape pods. That's in Episode Four when they land on the mm-hmm. Death Star. You know, he says it must be a decoy, sir. Several of the escape pods have also been jettisoned. Right. So there so, are escape pods on there. Were they saying they've already were they saying they've already been jettisoned, meaning they're not in there, or they've already been jettisoned uh, and there they are? They, you know, because I think Han says something about jettisoning the escape pods or something when they're getting ready well, to go into the or something. What, what he says is according to the what the Imperial soldier says is is uh, according to the ship's log, the crew oh. abandoned ship right after takeoff. Right. And then he says it must be a decoy. Several of the escape pods have also been jettisoned. So uh, plainly, he had on their way out to the uh, to the hidden compartment. They launched a couple of escape pods to to make it look like they had left the ship. So there are still escape pods on the ship, multiple ones. Uh, but you know that one's more of a Cadillac of an escape pod. Or now that we know what the what the the computer system of the Falcon is, it could have just mm-hmm. been L what L three three T just made it up. Is it eight or three? Three three T. L three, yeah. L three. She yeah. just made it up to cover their tracks. <laughs> there could be that too, I suppose. Terraskazi gets mentioned. Oh yeah, that? that's that's yes, that's I own that game. Sadly, Masters of Terraskazi. Yeah, not yes. a popular game, but uh, well, you know, it was it popular back then because it was the only Star Wars fighting game you could get. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, for for the PlayStation. Beckett is referred to as the guy who killed Aura Singh. That's a biggie. From uh, that's not EU though. That's from Episode One. Yeah, she was bigger. Well, yeah, and she was big in the Clone Wars cartoon. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and I didn't know this until I looked it up because they don't really say it. But uh, Warwick Davis, you know, who's part of the Cloud Riders, uh, that is apparently the same character he played in Episode One. That arms dealer character that he played was gambling yeah, with Watto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same yeah. character. Yeah, I've heard Which, that too. That he was the same character. You know, I uh, I guess we're jump. I'm going to jump to something in the movie. I thought like it was going to be an Easter egg, or there was there was some big big reveal when Infus Nest when she removes her mask mm-hmm. that you're kind of like, okay, who is she? Yeah, yeah I, I was I was <laughs> looking at it, and it, and the way they the way the camera stayed on her. Like, it, like you should look like yeah, you should is. recognize her. Yeah. It isn't it isn't oh look you thought it was going to be a big bad guy and it's uh you know a, a fairly attractive female. I uh, thought maybe she was the child of the other smuggler that's what that, I thought. The that sacrificed herself and and Woody Harrelson. No. I thought maybe it was their child. And I'm like uh, okay why are we why is there such a long lingering like on this person? I was yeah I, I was waiting for them to tell us who she was. And they yeah, never and, and I 
I said to a buddy of mine after we had both seen it, we're kind of comparing notes on it. I said the phrase I used and I continue to use it is we didn't earn that reveal. In other words, there was a big reveal of something, but we didn't get any knowledge before that so that it really made any impact on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I, I think that could have been handled a little differently, a little better. And, and again, I'll, I'll chalk it up to the fact that Ron Howard didn't have the movie from the beginning. In fact, I, you know, one of the things I say about that movie a lot is I would like to have seen the movie that Ron Howard made with that original script and having been in charge of the development process from day one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I well, think, like, it I think that would have. I think what we would have gotten is a better opening twenty minutes to half an hour or so, which would yeah. have made for a more common sense movie as it went along. You know, I, I thought there was, you know, just I guess we're getting into the talking about the plot a little bit now, but uh, oh yeah, the whole you know Woody Harrelson and his band of thieves, I thought were poorly developed at the beginning. I thought you know we we could have done a lot better as far as uh, you know getting to know who they are were and why they were there uh, than what we got, or you know we could have done it one of two ways. We could have had you know kind of gone along for the ride with them and waited to, for them to meet up or once they were introduced we could have had a little bit more in the way of exposition to explain who they were and i didn't think they did either of that all that well i think they almost treated with the exception of woody harrelson and i, I apologize that i'm not using everybody's character names here Back but, uh yeah uh but uh with, with the exception of him i don't think they really developed any of the characters all that well uh especially the the john favreau character who i thought was the most appealing of the group Rio? And, and I thought they could have gone mm-hmm. more with him, and they, they just kind of killed him off unceremoniously. Uh, and and I, yeah. I I thought that was a little bit of a loss to the movie. I think uh, you know we, you, they wanted to show the cost of going for this, and they also wanted to have Beckett on his own. But I think the movie would have been a little bit more. It would have felt a little bit more lighthearted and entertaining to have a character like mm-hmm. that along for the ride. They showed they they wanted to show Beckett on his own. They wanted to show the cost of it, but also, and, and this is this is a thing that you know I've gotten into with some people over Last Jedi, where people some of the bad parts of Last Jedi, people say, well, it it was necessary for the story because of blah and blah and blah, but but being necessary to the plot doesn't justify bad storytelling. And um, you could change the plot if you have to, or yeah, you just tell the, the story better. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah you know. exactly, exactly. And the, you know, one of the real reasons for the what happened to Rio happening to Rio is that they needed a plot mechanism whereby Solo takes over. Yeah. yeah, he gets to pilot the ship, and they realize, oh, this guy is a great pilot. And so, yeah, it, it really became let's waste a perfectly reasonable character for the sake of the plot. Yeah, I I, I think that's exactly right. Uh, so I agree with you on that. Uh, now I thought originally, from what I understood. Uh, and again, I'm, you're going you're gonna to help me with character names. Thandie Newton's character. Uh, I think, from what I heard, originally she was supposed to have a more significant role. She was not supposed to sacrifice herself uh, so early in the movie. But scheduling problems because of the production uh, changed things, and she was no longer going to be available to film the scenes that they would have wanted her to do because I think they wanted, from what I understand, they wanted to have more of a comparison of her relationship with Beckett and Han's relationship with Kira. They wanted to I did not know that. Parallel. That's, that's what I heard. Whether or not it's apocryphal or reality, I don't know. It is interesting, though, but I hadn't heard that. Yeah, that, that is interesting. Because she, she was also a very uh, interesting character, and they eliminated her pretty quickly. 
Yeah, they did. Well, and again, as you said, you know, with the later in the film, it does make a little more sense plot wise to just have it be Beckett and Solo having to kind of depend on each other with Chewie along for the ride. Mm hmm. Well, I'm not saying that you wouldn't kill off her character at some point. Just not so soon. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, you know, you, you could have had you could have had an interesting storytelling thing there because you got, you know, Han's relationship with Kira, Beckett's relationship with her and Lando's relationship with the droid, which, which was clear. There was clearly a sexual element to that relationship. Uh, it works, as she said. Yeah. So or, well, let, let me not say, say a sexual relationship. Let me say a romantic relationship. Well, yeah, well, she doesn't say it could work. It would work. It might work. She says it works. Yeah. So, yeah. Something it's a, there. Just a little weird, but uh, but you know, that's I'm, I'm I was kind of okay with it. I found it amusing in its own way. Um, well, I I actually liked the character of L three period just because she was again. I liked the fan service of the movie, and it was very heavy in fan service. Um, but she really followed up on some of those threads from the original film that I always, you know, that I'd always gravitated towards. One of which is the hey, we don't serve their kind here. Mm. You know, she was she was a droids right activist, and we established in the first film in A New Hope that there are droids rights issues. You know, your droids will have to wait outside. Um, and, and Marvel, because I'm a, as you guys know, huge devotee of the old Marvel Star Wars. You know, they they made an issue out of that as well with uh, the Star Killer Kid and with Valance the Hunter. In fact, much more so with Valance the Hunter. Mm-hmm. So, if, you know, if you want to get some issues that really address that head on, issues 16, 27, and 29 of the original Marvel Star Wars series are very good stories that follow up on those same threads that were in the original film. Is 29 his final? Well, look. 29 is the final part of that story. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whoops. That's almost, what I'll say. Almost spoiled something in case somebody wanted to yes. read it. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm not going to do a plot synopsis on this episode because I'm actually thinking a lot of people may not have seen this. They yeah. might listen to this and they might decide whether or not they're going to go see it based on our discussions. So I don't want to, you know, I mean, obviously there's spoilers in here. <laughs> We've been spoiling right. a lot of things. But I'm, yeah. I'm not going to do a total spoiler by giving away the whole plot. Um, yeah. uh, but are, oh. there, are there any other, any other plot, before we start talking about the actors and how they performed and all of that, uh any other plot points that you think are worth discussing? Well, it, it kind of there. There's a part in the movie that ticked me off, and it's kind of a slap to the EU, and that's how Han gets his last name because ah. you wipe out all that expanded universe, all his family ties. There's what through all the books about Corellia, the I think the Corellia trilogy and all that. Mm -hmm. I mean how. Well, well, why don't you why don't you break it down for me a little bit because I've never read any of this. So why don't you give me a, as as much of a thumbnail sketch as you can of what, oh, well, there's, what his there's EU like a, origin is. Oh well, that well, Scott, you might have to help me. I don't think he really has a his origin in the EU. He's got he's got family though. There's a he's solo got family, family though with the name of Solo. Yeah, including his identical cousin, <laughs> identical cousin, Thracken Sal Solo. That's it, Thracken. Yeah, Harrison Thracken Ford and, and Patty Duke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a hot dog makes Thracken lose control. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, so yeah. all of that was wiped out by the way he gets his name in the movie is that, you know, well, what's your last name? Uh, well, I don't really have one. Okay, Solo. 
and it that's kind of like the whole yeah. um that felt like, a, like an being... homage to the godfather part two to me yeah yeah the yes. immigrants at ellis island oh, uh tony okay Tony Solo. All right. Yeah, where's he from? Uh, Corleone. Okay. Yeah, Vito Andolini from Corleone. Okay, yeah. Vito Corleone. Vito Corleone. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Which I, I suspect that there, I don't, you know, obviously that's not a true story, but I believe that there are probably many true stories with a similar, uh, similar, you know, plot line to them as far as how people's last names came to be. Yeah, sure. there, there's like a whole series of books that deal with his family and uh, um, intrigue on his home planet. I mean, they don't really go, I don't really remember an exact origin for him, but it's just like, all that is now gone. Yeah. Although on the other hand, really gone (laughs) on the other hand, they're not very good books. I was going to say, that's probably not, (laughs) probably not really a bad thing. Cause there there was the one about the space station. That's like the center. Was it center point? Center point showdown at center point by Roger. Right. That trilogy is not good. Yeah. Well, I I think this, it's, it's, I was just going to say, in fact, it's one of those trilogies where you go, I think he must have come to them with the outline for one book, and they said, no, you got a trilogy. And he went, okay, let me stretch. Because there's a scene in one of those books, and it might be the center point one, where there's a he's stuck in a ship that's spinning, and I swear to you there are nine pages dedicated to the description of the ship spinning. <laughs> and it's just, I, I think there's a tendency uh, in these movies where they're, you know, they they said the the EU doesn't count, but I think they're cherry picking the parts of the EU well, that yeah. they like. Yeah, well, I mean, think about Marvel, and every so often, Marvel, and I'm talking about the comics, not the studio. Uh, every so often, you'll get some character that you haven't seen in forever gets a, their own title, or they show up in some book somewhere. And basically, you know, when when Disney bought Star Wars, it was the big part of the press release was we've acquired this uh, library of seventeen thousand characters, blah blah blah. And, uh, you know, the, the simple fact is you don't use it, you lose it. So mm-hmm. they're going to bring those things over because they own them. They may repurpose them and reposition them. Thrawn is certainly not exactly the same Thrawn that he was before he was introduced into the new canon. But they did bring him back in. And they will that's largely, I think, a lot of what they'll be doing, especially with the expanded materials, is they'll bring a lot of the old stuff back. They'll just put a different coat of paint on it. Mm-hmm. And, and well, I, I don't uh, know that that's necessarily a totally bad thing. I just think it's no. it's 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 a little bit frustrating to people such as yourself who have dedicated so much time and effort into reading these things, and it's oh yeah, that doesn't count anymore. Yeah. yeah. But but the same is true, to be honest with you, as comics readers, every time they they retcon something out, uh, without paying attention to what's happened since, I don't mm-hmm. mind it when they do a retcon where they say everything you've read since still exists, but you didn't know that this happened beforehand. No, those are fun. Yes. And then they all of a sudden start tying things in, and you're like, oh, that makes sense. And when they're well done, it really is kind of cool. But when Mm -hmm. they tell you this thing that you read and you've been kind of remembering for the last 25 years, yeah, that never happened. That's kind of annoying. Yes. I completely Um, agree. I don't know if we want to keep this this part uh, spoiler free. The uh, the big reveal at the end. Yeah, oh, no, no I, I think I, I think we need I think that. we need to hit that. So uh, anybody who's listening, uh, why don't you give us about five minutes? Just fast forward five minutes because we're going to talk about something that was a big reveal at the end, and uh, and you may want to you may want to see it yourself. So fast forward about five minutes, and we're going to just talk yeah. about that for now. Um, I didn't see that coming, definitely. Mm-mm. And then my first thing was I started to get all wrapped up in the, but when does this take place? Is this before he was cut in half by uh, 
you know, by no, by, was, by Ben. After. But either either he's a clone or he's been somehow kept alive despite being cut half, in half. Oh, which, is, which, is, which yeah. I understand is something they've done in the cartoons. Well, the yes. cartoons are G level canon or whatever the new canon is. The the cartoons count, right? So they now, are canon. And I have not watched that in the cartoon, so why don't you tell... And, and people who are still with us, we're talking about Darth Maul, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. how, did they, how did they have his character survive in the cartoons? Because I think well, you die point, instantly he gets like if a, they cut you in half. He gets yeah, like they, a spider droid thing attached to his lower torso at some yeah. point. Yeah, it goes he, crazy. They find him like in a trash heap. and uh, he gets Yeah, this, in like a junk world. Yeah, something. and he gets this mechanical torso attached to him and... Uh, uh, you know, then goes the, on this quest for revenge. Uh, like the the dark sisters of Dathmir, whatever, help prepare his mind, make him sane with his brother, uh, Savage. Savage Oppress. Oppress, yeah, great name. Played yeah. by Clancy Brown in the cartoon. Um, is this in so, Rebels or in uh, Clone Wars? No, this is in Clone Wars. Starting in Clone Wars, he actually did yeah. carry over into Rebels. Yeah, which I haven't seen the Rebel stuff, although I do kind of know what happens. Uh, yeah. when he, how he, his eventual fate we'll say <laughs> yeah yes by the way uh he does not suckle at obi-wan's teat as we were led to believe at celebration so <laughs> they were showing they were showing concept sketches and you know some of dave filoni's quickie sco- storyboards and i swear to you they had shots where obi-wan is holding darth maul and it looks like he's nursing him <laughs> so that's a good ball he's a good yeah. <laughs> Uh, ow, ow, fighting so, fighting. so now, so now, as set up in this, he's not part of Emperor Palpatine's crew. No, and he's, he's he's leading another faction. So we have the Empire. We have mm-hmm. uh, I, I, Scott. What was the name of his uh, Crimson, Crimson Dawn? Crimson Dawn. Yeah. yeah. And then we have the re- rebels who, you know, now, yeah. now we, we to, to tie everything in a nice, neat bow, uh, if not for Han Solo, the rebels wouldn't exist. Yes. Yeah. He provided their initial funding. Yes. Isn't uh, it lovely? But that's, see, now that's set up for a nice, complex sequel. Yes. That we're not going to get. Probably not. <laughs> well, maybe. But there's always books and comics. I did see, you know, just a few days ago, there was a press release from, you know, it's it's all been all over the internet about how, oh, they're not going to do any more solo movies. Oh, I mean, I mean, when I, and not just a Han Solo movie. They supposedly um, claimed that all future Star Wars stories films were on hold, but you got to get I've that been, Ben Kenobi movie done while Ewan McGregor is still young enough to do it. Right. Although, I mean, he could get pretty old, but he may not want to do it after a while. And mm-hmm. and and it just, but to be honest, the Iron is hot to do a Lando movie right now. Yeah, but 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 if uh, I'm I'm looking on the Wikipedia, so I don't know how good this is because it because it mentions the June 20th story, then it says a day later, Lucasfilm told ABC News that this was not correct and that numerous unannounced standalone films were still in development. Yeah, there's a fine line that's being drawn here, and that is the original report was that the Star Wars story films were being shelved, and the, the denial was, no, we're still producing standalone films. Um, I, I, I feel like what is being said is, yeah, okay, quietly we're shelving the Star Wars story films, but we were developing these other standalones that aren't, you know, part of the Star Wars story moniker, you know, like Ryan Johnson's trilogy and the Game of Thrones 
movies, you know, the, the Game of Thrones showrunners movies and that kind of thing, they're not necessarily things that were originally going to come up under the banner of a Star Wars story anyway, uh, which which seemed to be dealing with concepts and, and characters that we were acquainted with in the original trilogy, uh, you know, like the Death Star plans and then mm-hmm. Solo, and then, of course, the rumors were Kenobi and Boba Fett were the next couple. Um, I'm, I'm, I tell you, I'm, and again, this can, this gets to marketing a little bit. I'm not excited about a Boba Fett movie. I think mm. they, they, if they want us to be excited, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna feed my own ego for a moment and just say I'm the average Star Wars fan. I, I'm very, I very much enjoy the movies. I'm not that much into the expanded universe, and you know, I, I would want to see most of the stuff. But if they're coming out with a Boba Fett movie, I don't know that I'd be so quick to say, yes, I'm going to the theater to see it. So you really need, I think you really need to promote that if you want to do that. Now, a Ben Kenobi movie, I'm pretty mm. pretty much on board for that already. I think there are a lot of people who are predisposed to a Boba Fett movie. I think a Boba Fett movie could do well. Um, but, I mean, it's got to be a good movie. And it's interesting because... It's one of those things where they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't, because there's so many fan theories about Boba Fett already that if they're not all satisfied, is everybody going to be unhappy with the film? Yeah, well, it, you know, you, you did mention earlier that the Star Wars frontline fans are going to be the torchbearers bringing things in, and mm-hmm. that's where you run a risk. You can make a good Boba Fett movie, but if you don't, if you don't, if you don't make the frontliners happy. The word yeah. of mouth might not be that good, and then the more borderline fans aren't going to go because they're saying, well, if, if, if Scott Rifen doesn't like it, why would I go see it because yeah. he's a big fan? Yep. So there, there is a little bit of an element there where they got to be really, really careful how they write that script. Not only do they need to write a script for a good movie, but they have to write a script for a good movie that's going to satisfy the fandom. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Yeah, I do think you're right there that there is a danger. So... Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the cast, and I'm gonna just go right right for the big one right off the bat. What do you <laughs> think of uh, what do you Lando? Think of, no, no. <laughs> what do you think of? Let me make, see, make sure I pronounce this correctly. Alden. Alden Einreich. Aaron Reich. Aaron Reich. Aaron Reich. Damn. What, what I'm do so you, close. Now I have not seen him before. I know he does have mm-hmm. a an acting career before this, and uh, from what I understand, he's pretty well thought of as an actor. Yep. Uh, but my this is my only experience of him, so I'm going to be talking about him just as portraying Han Solo. Uh, do we or either of you familiar with him otherwise? Nope. No. Okay, so we're we're all in the same boat. What did you think of him? Did you did you first of all did you think he felt like a young Harrison Ford to you? No, but he felt like a young Solo, and that might be enough. Um, you know, I had to resign myself very early on to the fact that this guy's not going to be Harrison Ford. Nobody's Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford, and even he's barely Harrison Ford these days. Oh, he's not anymore. And, and so, uh, yeah, are you Harrison I Ford? I, I used to Realistically, be. he hasn't been Harrison Ford. The last time he was Harrison Ford for me was The Fugitive. Wow, that's uh, that was very Harrison Fordy, Harrison Ford. But, uh, you know, so it, it, I don't know that it's fair to hold somebody to the standard of are they Harrison Ford. But was he solo? Absolutely, I thought he was. Yeah, now, I heard yeah. they actually – I heard they had an acting coach for him, not because of a lack of ability to act, but because of a lack of ability to emulate Harrison Ford. 
and they'd have mm. a, they had an acting coach on set with him as he was delivering his lines just to kind of get that affect down before he'd film his scenes. You need to mumble more, mumble more. But oh. I, I, I thought he had that. I actually felt, you know, physical differences aside, I felt like he he was portraying a young Han Solo, and I could see how this person becomes the person piloting the Millennium Falcon in A New Hope. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Now, yeah. How, how much time is there supposed to be between this movie and that movie? And I hate calling I it A New ten, Hope, and I, I already ten regret years. that. Ten, yeah, ten or eleven ten years. years. Yeah, ten, about okay, ten years. Yeah, that sounds about right, and that feels about right. And, uh, the, you know, I would just picture, and we'll, I guess ten years from now we'll see, I would picture... Uh, Aaron Reich as being a physically bigger man than Harrison Ford in 10 years. I don't think so. No, I mean, look, the guy's, you know, he's almost, he's in his upper 20s and he's uh, hes about four inches shorter. So I don't think you're going to see him. Well, I, I, I don't mean he's, height. He's I don't mean height. So. I, I mean, I mean, like it, 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 could, it could be muscle. Don't get me wrong. But I think as you, you know, as you get closer to your 40s, you usually get larger. Well, speak for yourself, buddy. Some of us were already large before we were 40. I know I'm talking to two (laughs) toothpicks here. (laughs) Not not like me. But, but, I mean, there there is a tendency, you know, you fill out, you get thicker as you get older. And, again, you could be in wonderful physical shape and be muscular as you get thicker, but you just do. And I picture Harrison Ford at 40 being more lean than an an old and Aaron Reich. That's just in my mind. That's what I'm picturing. I, I could be wrong. I got nothing to say to that. <laughs> I'm still insulted by the toothpick comment. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. I, and if, for, what, what's the what's the the real the apology that's not apologize? I apologize if you were insulted. If you were insulted, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry you were offended. Yes, that's it. I'm sorry you took from it what I did not intend you to take from it. Um, no, I intended to, to, but it's just you. I'm, I'm just sorry that you that it bothered you. <laughs> That, because that's what I take from that. It's not. Yeah. I, I take no regret and I have no sorrow for what I said. I'm just sorry no, that you no. interpreted it the way you did. Yes, absolutely. Even though I did intend it that way, mm-hmm. and you took it the way I intended it, I'm still <laughs> sorry for something. I'm, I'm, I just, just want it to go away, so I'm apologizing. What it is, is I'm sorry there was an uproar. That's all yes, he's saying. That is exactly what it is. But we, we, we are going afield here. Uh, why, why should you go to jail for a crime someone else noticed? Now, <laughs> I, I had totally forgotten that Woody Harrelson was in this movie. And now Woody Harrelson managed, I guess he needs to, to find a role in the Marvel Universe though now because he's getting into every franchise. Uh, <laughs> but I, I thought he was terrific in it. I, I really thought yeah. he played the part well. I thought his character was fairly well written. Uh, the, only, the only thing that was just so goddamn cliche, I'm so tired of hearing in the movies, is I told you not to trust anybody. Mm. <laughs> that's I mean every that's a red time flag. Somebody, don't trust me. Don't yeah, trust anytime me. anybody says that, you know they're going to betray the person they're speaking to. Because he didn't take my advice. Mm-hmm. I told you not to trust anybody, Doctor Jones. And I think <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that wasn't the first time we saw it, but it wasn't cliche yet when we saw it then. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's now it is cliche, and it's it's just Very much so. that there's the the two plot elements, and we only got one of them in this, and we're just discussing it. The other one that's like that that bothers me is when uh, the hero of the movie finds out something. So he speaks to his confidant, 
and his confidant says, have you told anyone else about this yet? <laughs> and they say no, and then you know that the confidant <laughs> is going to. Yeah. yeah. That's another red flag that, that this guy is going to eventually a, uh, turn on him and betray him. Dion sign over this guy's head suddenly, yeah. So, you know, I, to me, that's a little bit of lazy writing because it's just so, so broadcast for us. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I thought he was well-written, and I thought he played the part well. And I am shocked, I have to tell you, at how good an actor Woody Harrelson has turned out to no, be. No, he absolutely is. And he is a compelling personality, whether he's in Solo or whether he's in Three Billboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, he's, or, he's, or in War on the Planet of the War for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, or, yeah. I mean, I go back one. to Cheers. He played his part in Cheers great, but I thought he was a one-note guy because of yep. that. I thought well, he was good. He was now, now you see me. Now you don't. Those. Uh, did mm-hmm. you guys see those? I no. saw the first half of the first one. Oh. Uh, I bought it on bootleg in New York City. <laughs> and uh, I didn't. I never got a chance to finish watching it, but I will one day. One day I'll see it, and then I won't. <laughs> there you go, uh, Amelia Clark. I didn't even realize that was Amelia Clark until after the movie. Really? Right, because she wasn't riding a dragon. And she wasn't she, blonde. She does she look blonde. She totally, had clothes on. She, she totally. <laughs> she does look totally different as a brunette than she does as a blonde. There is mm-hmm. a very, very different uh, appearance to her. Uh, you know, the only other time I've seen her outside of Game of Thrones was in Terminator Genesis. And I kind of found her. I knew she was in that, and I knew who she was going in, but I would never see that performance and say, "Oh, that's the Khaleesi from Game of Thrones." Mm. So she she is she is playing different parts in different ways, and I give her credit for stretching her acting a little bit that way. Uh, I don't think this particular part required her to do a lot of acting. Honestly, I thought you know she was kind of there through it. Uh, I, I didn't think she had any point in it where she needed to be subtly emoting. Well, I don't know that I agree with that because I think at the end she did, you know, she had to, she had to sell the scene where she tells solo to go and I'll catch up with you. And she knows darn good and well, she doesn't plan on catching up with him. And I think that was a a scene that required a little bit of complexity and subtlety. And I think she, she pulled it off really well. And I think it kind of plays more to uh, also it kind of shows at this point Hans naivete. Yeah, especially well, towards. I think that's the best best story arc in this movie is Hans uh, becoming more complicated as a person and understanding that things yeah. aren't as black and white as they appear. Well, I mean, in this one adventure, how many times has he been betrayed by people he trusts? Yeah. And, of course, his naivete is summed up in the line, I have a very good feeling about this. <laughs> yeah. Which, which <laughs> Maybe was, the last time he says it. And that was a nice callback because they didn't give the, I have a very bad feeling. So that was mm-hmm. great. I thought that was terrific. But uh, moving on, Donald Glover, to me, was the, you know, the, the, the MVP of this movie. Uh, and reminded me much of Dr. Bones McCoy in the Star Trek reboots, that he was he was definitely channeling his original character, but without ever bothering me, almost making mm-hmm. me smile the way he was doing Billy D. Yeah, when he first, when when you hear his voice first in in the little yeah, the cantina little the bar or whatever, yeah. it's like, like, wow. It's like, did mm-hmm. they get Billy D to do some lines or what? <laughs> and they might have got him to record some voice work, too. I would love to see Billy D make a, an appearance in the next movie. 
Uh, that's the rumor. Working. I don't know if he's still no. working or not. I haven't seen anything with yeah. him in years. Oh, he's he is he's done Rebels actually. He's played Lando on Rebels. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the rumor just came out this week actually that he he may well be in the uh, episode nine. Mm. I think that would be a real plus. Yeah, uh, Glover, I liked, but I thought he was. I didn't feel like he was the show stealer that he could have been, mostly because I felt like he was doing an impression. You know, there was a uh, there was a, a little bit of a campaign from some of the fans to uh, cast that kid, Anthony and Gruber, as Solo, and I was glad they didn't because I've seen his videos on YouTube, and what I see him doing is a decent impression of Harrison Ford. But I saw him in Age of Adeline, and where he played young Harrison Ford, and all he was doing was playing, uh, doing an impression of Harrison Ford. I didn't sense any real acting coming out in that stuff. And so I was glad that, you know, because otherwise you would have just been sitting there preoccupied with how well he does the impression. And that's kind of how I felt about Glover's Lando. Uh, I felt it was a little distracting because it, it did seem to be more impression than acting. See, I, And again, I don't think the writing on his character required him to do any serious acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, th- I think he he was there to to be more flashy than deep. Mm-hmm. So I thought the impression worked very well with that. Uh, and maybe it, it kind of it did kind of remind me of you know Bones McCoy in uh, in the Star Trek reboot. You know, clearly he was doing an impression of uh, of DeForest Kelly in that. There's there's no question about it. But he was still delivering his lines in a way where it still sounded natural coming out of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought Lando was the same way. Now, if, if you gave him a real over-the-top emotional scene and he's trying to do a Lando imitation doing that, I don't know if it would play as well. But I do think he, to some extent, stole the movie because he was just so compelling in that part. Uh, and I think, like I said, I think if if the word of mouth is created the way I think it should be, if they did try and do a Lando movie and properly marketed it, I think they could have a hit on their hands. You know who I think, uh, to me, was more the MVP of that film? Who's that? Because I think it had to sell, or else, and that's Jonas Suotamo. Chewbacca? The new Chewbacca. And he, you know, the relationship between those two really depends on your believing that they have a a friendship. And, and you know, you have to be able to see the affection, and you have to be able to see the quips and the exchanges, and you have to be able to see the frustration and he's got to play all that behind a mask, and he's got to make it work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, we have to see a shower scene. <laughs> but the shower scene's funny. <laughs> it was funny. Uh, yeah, and I'm I, sure there'll be a playset for it. Sure. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I thought he, I thought he, he was really good. Uh, I, you know, I, I think you know it is time that Peter Mayhew doesn't play it anymore. I'm sorry. Well, I, he can't walk. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but they still managed to get him into the suit for at least one scene in, in the last two movies. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're done there with him now. Uh, there was certainly no surprise when they said, throw, you know, throw him in with the beast. I, I think we, we all knew what was coming then. That didn't, you know, that wasn't, yeah. I, I yeah. don't think they were attempting to keep it a secret, really. I think that no. was more, you know, I, if there was going to be a surprise there, I think it was more for the the very, very casual fans. Who, who wouldn't know for sure by that time in the movie they're not even thinking about Chewbacca. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I was not a fan of the mechanism of getting out of the trouble of of uh, Solo speaking Wookie, and I have a couple of like a two tracked reason for that. 
My biggest and reason is we've never seen it otherwise. Magic. We haven't seen it otherwise, and and we've had plenty of opportunities where we could have seen it, and that is very true. Um, but I've always understood the reason we didn't see it otherwise is because there's a character in Solo at Star's End named Reckon, and one of the things he first does when he sees Chewbacca is speak, you know, Shiri Wook to him, and they remark in the book how amazing it is because he's one of the few human beings who can actually articulate it. So, you know, when, when you put it that way, you go, well, you know, obviously I'm okay with solo not speaking it because, you know, not many people can, and it's not his fault. He's not born with, you know, whatever tools he needs to. But the other thing is there are a lot of times where they make, they have great fun and great humor with the fact that, that, Solo's not very worldly or galaxyly or whatever you want to say. You know, he doesn't have a lot of experience, and that is put on display many times. So then it it, it leads to the question: Well, then where did he learn that, and how did he learn that? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, and that, that point had not occurred to me honestly. Uh, mm. I was I was more along the first point of, you know, we we've got what is it four other Star Wars movies where Han and Chewbacca are together. Yeah, and, and Chewbacca, I mean Han, never spoke uh, Wookie before. No. So you know, even if it had just been in passing, all, you know, all we have is that they understand him when he speaks it. Yeah. They, they've and, never spoken it to him though. No. So now, but for again, all of a sudden, for him to just sit there and go, you know, it's like it yeah. just didn't seem right. Well, and again, we've got a young Solo who they continue to make jokes and remarks and references to the fact that he just hasn't seen things, he just hasn't been out, he just hasn't experienced a lot. And then to suddenly say, oh, he can understand this complicated language from a creature that's not from his planet. I don't buy that. Yeah, I, I would have been I, – I think it would have felt more organic if they had formed their friendship somehow in the battle because maybe mm. Han had a chance to kill him and didn't. Mm -hmm. And then they formed this alliance, which also would explain Chewbacca's life debt. Yeah. Yeah, the life debt's a little fuzzy in this one. Yeah, no, it's it's I, you know I thought that was, I thought they went out cheap on that because I think it's just oh Han came up with this plan to knock out the pillar which they escaped so now Chewbacca yeah. has a life debt uh, that seems yeah. a little cheap eh. to me you know but meanwhile like if he had yeah. picked up a weapon that he could slice Chewbacca's throat with and had him down on the ground and elected not to yeah now exactly. we have a life debt yes you know but, I, I think or, that would have worked better. You know, and then through the course of the movie, he could have been like learning the language and they're communicating mm -hmm. better, you know, and, and you could, you could add a lot of that into the script every, every so often, every five to 10 minutes, he understands the language just a little bit better and they're communicating a little better with each other. Yeah. I think that, I think that would have been more entertaining and it, it would have, they would have been earning that bond between them a little bit better. No, I, I fully agree. What do you think, Bill? You've been silent. Uh... Yeah, deadly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I was kind of fine with the, um, you know, I thought maybe he learned how to speak it on the street or just picked it up a little few phrases. I mean, he's not fluent. How many languages does he know? Why, why was that the language he learned? He's like C3PO. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, because we see later in the other movies that they kind of have an, uh, like, he says stuff to Chewbacca, Chewbacca says it back, but it's in basic. But he seems to understand what Chewbacca is saying. Yeah. So he's got some grasp of Sherwood. Oh, no, there's, there's no question the storyline is that he understands him. But maybe he shouldn't have understood him so well so quickly. I mean, come on. 
I can speak it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I have this image in my mind now. You meet up with a Wookiee, you do that, and the Wookiee just pounds you to death because you yes. made some you made you made some sort of like insult to his mother or something. Yeah. <laughs> that would do it. <laughs> but but I, I you know that said uh, again, I think the script could have been a little stronger on that. But otherwise, I, I still did enjoy the portrayal, and I mm-hmm. did like the way they interacted together. Yeah, and again, if their relationship doesn't work, and that's why I give Suotamo a lot of credit, because he's got to carry the chewy end of it with dubbed-over dialogue and just mask acting, basically. And if if that relationship between the two of them doesn't work, this movie doesn't work. Yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, it does work. So the last guy I want to get to in our uh, actor list is Paul Bettany. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand... Whoa, 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 whoa. what I'm about Clint some- Howard? <laughs> Next, He's, Clint is now part of the Star Wars and Star Trek universe. Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, Austin Powers. He is. Uh, he's just. Is so he weird. in Willow? Uh, hmm. I don't know if he was in Willow or not. You know what? I'll look that up while you guys uh, do your thing. <laughs> what thing are we doing? I thought you were doing I, I don't this. know. Filmography. So, but okay. just well, you, you, we'll get back to to Clint Howard in a moment. Uh, but Paul Bettany, my understanding is he was not originally in this. That he came right. with. He came with Ron Howard. Uh, that, right, like know, once, he did it as a as a as a favor because I guess either the original it was supposed to be a mocap is what I understand that the Dryden Voss character was going to be a mocap and either they couldn't get the guy to voice it or the mocap guy something something fell through so Paul Bettany stepped in at the last minute and, and, my, and my understanding is it was a favor did. to Paul Bettany. That Paul Bettany contacted Ron Howard and oh, said, "I oh. want to be, I want to be in the Star Wars universe." Mm. They went, "Good, we don't have time to replace a guy, so here." Yeah, I, I like nice. the effect they did when he got angry, like he had these mm-hmm. the scars in his face would kind of flare red. It took me a while to notice that the first yeah. few times. I don't know if you caught that, Paul. Yeah, no, I did, and uh, I did. I actually found that the scars to be. You know, the word distracting. distracting? The, word, the word distracting has a negative connotation. Uh, I found that my eye was constantly drawn to them, mm-hmm. so I did notice it. But I, I, distracting is wrong because I, I didn't th- see it as a negative. It's just something that I, when, whenever he was on the screen, I did find myself focusing on them, though. Yeah, I, kinda, I've heard. God, kind of like when you, you know, somebody introduces their child to you, and it's an ugly child, and you're kind of <laughs> like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's so cute. Uh, yeah, I'm maybe? not sure of the correlation there, but, it, but but we'll go with that if it makes you happy. Uh, I, I thought love... I thought he was I thought he was adequ- adequately threatening. Mm-hmm. I I liked him because he he had this menacing charm to him, like your phone, like my phone exactly. Um, and what I really like, and you want to talk about Easter eggs, and this is kind of one of them. Um, I, I like the fact that when they introduce him, he is stabbing the regional governor to death. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and, and, and that that gives you the whole he's ruthless and well, watch what it, you're dealing with here. It, it does, but it also says in a very real sense that the Empire is not watching what these criminal gangs do. That as long as they kind of pay their, you know, their their uh, what would you say their tribute to the Empire that they can continue to operate the way they're operating because uh, normally speaking you got to think if if he murders a regional governor then the empire's all over him but instead here he is stabbing him to death and there's no consequences whatsoever yeah but I, you know I, I think that's that's the 
that's the subtext, and the main part of it is just that you know, hey, watch out for this guy. He doesn't, you know, he he doesn't know any boundaries. Sure, sure. But I, I agree with you that that it does kind of define the empire a little bit. So that that is a, a cool thing, and, well, and again, it, it, and I think it, it sets up that that three way battle that we talked about should be mm-hmm. in the second movie. That's probably never going to happen. No, but it does say that these these criminal gangs are somewhat semi sanctioned by the empire. The empire, you know, the empire can't control the entire galaxy with one iron fist. They're just not. It's too big. Yeah, so the they kind of rely the on center, these guys. Yeah, the more corruption, just like how yep. Han got off of. Corellia by, you know, they bribed the guard with the, yep. well, you know, with the fuel, the coaxium. Yeah. And you got to think that that's a, a crap detail to be on Corellia because, you know, they said, well, you know, I'm going to come back. Well, nobody comes back here. You know, why would you come back here? So obviously those people are ripe for corruption because they which, don't want to be there. Which, granted, we, don't, we only saw a small part of the planet, but I played the Star Wars Galaxies game and mm. it was a beautiful, <laughs> it was a beautiful planet in that game. And um, the Not other so descriptions the from yeah. from the books, I mean, but that could have been like the industrial sector, I would guess. Maybe I got a feeling. Remember, Star Wars very often is this is the planet, and this is what and they do on the planet. Yeah, this <laughs> is the entire planet. It's a desert planet. It's a yeah. snow planet. It's yeah, a, it's a exactly industry planet. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there and and this is also the Lucasfilm that decided that uh, everybody of one species does the exact same thing for a living. So you have to ask how Rodian society ever evolved since they're all bounty hunters. <laughs> but, you know, so, it, yeah, the, they can kind of boil things down to the very simple sometimes. So I, I got the feeling that the industrial Corellia is pretty much, with very little exception, it's Corellia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I do find it a little bit amusing that you you have Darth Vader breath, breathing on your phone and I have Yoda laughing on mine in the same podcast. Uh, <laughs> nice. And I, I had to change that from the Chewbacca yell because that was people were finding that disturbing for some reason. But anyway, uh, moving, moving on from our cast, uh, what'd you think of the score, Scott? I really, it's funny because I, I like the score. It's kind of like the movie. I like the score the first time I heard it and I like it more. The more I hear it, I, I do have some little nitpicks. I mean, if you really want the nitpicks, I can nitpick it for you. I mean, is it be using the, the cues from the other songs or I like when they use cues from other scores, but the problem is I think a lot of these cues are misused. And mm. so, you know, but again, it's, it's well, I think it's me. Could you, could you expand on that? How, how was it misused? Okay. They're, they're in the maw. They're plotting the Kessel run. And then they look and they see a star destroyer. Oh, and it goes down. Da, da, da. Yeah. Which is exclusively the music cue that belongs to the death star. It's not a Star Destroyer cue, it's the Death Star's cue. Um, they several times use the Rebellion theme when this is not a movie. It's, it's I guess, kind of ultimately of the it's about the Rebellion at the, at the, by the end of it. Um, but they use the Rebellion theme throughout, and then they use the main title from the original Star Wars, you know, the, the, you know bah, 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 which I always associate with Luke Skywalker. Yeah, period. even though that's not Luke's theme... That it, does it, feel it like much theme to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you on that. So th- there are just several instances where they misuse. To me, he he misplaced some of these cues, but it's still good to hear them, and it still sounds good in the film. What about so, the uh, what about the imperial um, 
recruiting no, commercial. Yes, the Imperial <laughs> recruiting commercial. What people, you know, I see all these little Easter egg articles, and they point out that they use the Imperial theme in the, in the recruitment commercial. But what they don't point out is that it's in a major key instead of minor key. You know, it's a happy and upbeat version. Oh yeah, yeah, it of the Imperial March. Uh, and that's happy why it's not my Imperial March. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's the happy triumphant. It would be, in other words, if the Imperials had written the Imperial March, that's how they would have done it. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I just find yeah. it amusing, though, as a concept. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, and we also got the, the asteroid um, yep. theme from, which I thought was used, you know, you know when that popped in, I was like, oh, yeah. And I go to bed, and I was like, yeah, that's from the asteroid scene in an empire they kind of bounce back and forth in that scene between the asteroid chase music and and the thing that they call uh the original star wars album called tie fighter attack and then john williams later oh yeah renamed here they come uh and they kind of bounce back and forth between those i recognized the different themes that you're talking about as they came up uh but i didn't really hear anything that made me notice it that was new was there anything in there that was new that caught your ear that you thought, yeah, that was good or that, you know, or that it wasn't good? You know, John Williams composed a solo theme for the film, and uh, it was nice, but the problem I had with it, and when you listen to it on the album, it sounds good. It's a really good piece. The problem is that the pieces of it that they used to integrate into the score, more often than not, sounded much more like Poe Dameron's theme than anything else. No. Okay. I, I, I can't comment because I can't say... No Poe Dameron's theme off the top of my head, <laughs> I, or, or that I recognized uh, Solo's theme. Mm. So well, I'm not going to sing it, so... No, uh, that's a forget that for everyone. <laughs> that's what people came here to hear. That's pretty much. I that's downloaded right. this goddamn thing, and, and Reifen's <laughs> not going to sing the theme. I thought the Poe Dameron theme was, uh, I'm sexy and I know it. Uh, <laughs> only when Finn's in the scene, apparently. <laughs> Please. Uh, we're gonna keep. We're gonna just go right by that. Uh, the last point I just want to go before we get to our ra- rankings on this is, mm-hmm. what do you think about the direction? Oh wait, what about Lando being a douche? Well, I think that goes without saying. But go ahead. <laughs> oh what man, the guy's a cheat. Yeah, no sure. good surprise you in the slightest. Bag. Does, does yeah, that mean totally in character? Yeah. yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, he does. Uh, he does. Um, he takes turn them over to the empire and everything else. So yeah, then he leaves them. Oh yeah, just what it was. Yeah. I was glad yeah. that. But, but right after he leaves them, right after, I hate you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Han, not Han. Han. Okay, Han. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I I had a beef with that. Did you? Okay, I kind of got a kick out. Yeah, that was all right, but I just have a beef with the whole because the the pronunciation thing has gone on for decades with with that, you know. And, and I've always said, here's the deal: George Lucas says "han," mm-hmm. and then they always they always have Lando saying "han," and so that's I guess their attempt to explain why he says it. But, but what nobody ever points out is that three PO also says it. And, you know, of all the characters in that saga who know anything about how to pronounce words, I would think it would be 3PO. So we should and we should all learn from 3PO and speak with an so, English accent. Yeah. Andy Layla so is I the only attribute. one on this network who knows how to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like a so I always, sandwich, please. No. Yeah. So I always interpreted that maybe, you know, Solo himself says it 
Han the way he does because that's a Corellian accent. Well, I always and kind of it felt like cool. oh. I always felt like however you say your name, that's how it's pronounced. When it's your name, you get to choose how it's pronounced. I guess maybe, but not Scott. really. <laughs> Scott Scott Gardner doesn't like when we call him Scott. Scott. <laughs> that's or right. From now on, I'm gonna be for. I'm gonna be bit ill. <laughs> now, is there an apostrophe in there? Is that what that yeah, is? Yeah, that that okay. they, you got it. Yep, I'm with you. So, just to bring you back to the directing, uh, okay. I think Sorry. I think we're going kind mm-hmm. of full circle because Scott mentioned earlier he would have liked to have seen this movie if Ron Howard had been involved in the pre-production and had been able to put a stamp on it from day one. And I do think we would have had a better movie if we had done that because early on when I felt like things were a little convoluted, uh, I think that would have been all much, you know, we would have had a single vision there and it would have been better. Some of the blocking, some of the framing of some dust just kind of from time to time feels like it was rushed. Like it was like, where, where can we put the camera? Here. Okay, fine. Uh, and, and I think if, if Ron Howard had been, had a chance to storyboard it out from scratch, I think it would have been a better movie. It's a good movie, but I think it would have been better. I, I think, you know, one of the things, if, you know, Ron Howard's directing career, watching his movies, uh, the strength has always been it's a very very clear clean movie to watch visually and yeah. story wise which is something Lucas and Spielberg both do so it's not surprising that that Ron Howard kind of interpreted that if, so, if you saw if you saw Ready Player 1 by the way you got a clinic in just clear concise lines of action uh in an era where that's just not something anybody does anymore mhm yeah and it's it's something that i i appreciate when they do that yeah uh, I prefer that that type of storytelling. I'm not saying it can't be complex, but I do want it to be I want it to have a, a clear narrative. Um so like I said, I think it would I, I agree with you, I think it would have been better. I think the first half an hour or so of the movie would have been better. I think we would have maybe even had a couple of more a little bit more foreshadowing of what we were gonna get. Uh I, I think it would have br- it would have brought the movie up a notch. I don't know if it would have changed it dramatically, but I think it would have brought it up a notch. Yeah, I concur. William? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it did seem a little disjointed in some places. And I know that the directors that they had were, the, I guess, the guys that did the Lego movie, which mm-hmm. I have not seen. Go ahead, yell from at what, me. From everything I understand, they were trying to add humor into everything. They were trying to turn this into Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, one of the things, too, that I heard was that uh, they were encouraging a lot of improvisation, and the improv was actually changing story points in the film. Mm. And so suddenly, even though, you know, you could so say, then well, you we're have using to rewrite something down the line. Yeah, because exactly. Changed. And I yes. heard Kasdan was having, like, yeah, Kasdan pitched a fit over, over that. Yes. Because, yeah. you know, he's got his text, and that's what you should be following. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and it was also throwing them off schedule, which from my experience talking to different people I know who are involved in the filmmaking industry, that is the biggest cardinal sin you can commit is to go off schedule. Mm-hmm. So, it is indeed. It is indeed. It, and, you know, I was, I, was, I was actually talking to somebody yesterday who is a filmmaker, and this point came up and he says, he said, it is the single easiest way to get replaced on a project is if you can't bring it in on time. Yeah, on time and under budget. That's what they want. They'll deal no, with over budget before they'll deal with over time. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you've got 
so only so so much time to have so many people depending on what other projects they're working on. Yeah. And, well, and set availability and space to record in. And and, and probably the single biggest thing is you have a time slot or a date blocked out for oh, when yeah. you're going to release it, and yep. you need enough time post production to get everything done before that date. Yeah. You, you hear, I mean, you always hear about movies that are they're scrambling to get the post production done right up until the release date. So you mm-hmm. could just understand the stress that that puts the studio under. Yeah, exactly. You know, my, my recollection, the, the hairiest one of those I remember was uh, Lethal Weapon Four, and I think it came out in '97, maybe '98. But uh, the year it came out, they started filming it in January of that year and had it out by July. It sounds like a Brett Ratner special, even though it's, yeah, they uh, just even though it's Dick Donner. Yeah, Donner just got in there, and you know everybody knew what they were supposed to. But that's you know one reason if you look at it, like Mel Gibson, you know his hair is short instead of Riggs's normal long hair and that kind of thing. Uh, it's just because they literally had to jump in, shoot it, and get out. Mm. And literally from the day they started filming to six months later, it was in three thousand theaters. Right. Well, then that's 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 going to make you very popular with with the studio, though, when yeah. you can do that. That's why Brett Ratner gets movies. Yeah, that's probably mm-hmm. the only reason Brett Ratner gets movies. <laughs> but, uh, so let's let's talk about this one on the final uh, final thought process here. Where does it fall on the Jaws scale? And once again, I will give the Jaws scale because I always give it Jaws, an all time classic, great movie, very few flaws, if any. Jaws two, solid. Really good, worthy of many rewatchings, but not quite at the classic level. Jaws 3, entertaining, but not quite at that level. Jaws 4 is a bad movie. Where, do you, where does this fall along that? I think, I think we could automatically disqualify, just based on our conversation, uh, Jaws 4 and Jaws from the uh, scale. The question is, does it fall as a Jaws 2 or a Jaws 3? And if I'm wrong about that, you just let me know. No, no, I'm pretty much down to that right, right now, too. I'm going I'm to jump in. Usually I have my, my guests go first, but I'm going to jump in oh. first this time and give mine. Uh, I see it as a high Jaws 3. It's not quite the it, – it, there's a little bit of uh, weakness to it that takes it out of that Jaws 2 level, but I still found it very enjoyable. And, you know, when it's on TV, I'll stop and watch it, and there's no question I'll watch it on home video at some point. So it's solid, but it's just not quite a Jaws 2 for me. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it a second time since the initial viewing, so um, I mean, I'm going to pick it up when it comes out, as I do all the Star Wars movies. Um, whether or not it's something I'm going to rewatch over and over again, I don't know. So I think I'm going to be also a three right now, maybe you know, like pushing the boundary. I know sometimes I do like that, you know, middle. I'll split a rating, but I'm trying to stick with one rating this time. As Scott's the only one of us who has seen it multiple times and did yep. did indicate that it improves upon second viewing and third viewing. So that may change the rating. Yeah, and, and that is exactly why I'm giving it a very solid Jaws 2. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is a movie that gets better with repeated viewings. You see more, you catch more, you get more comfortable with Alden Ehrenreich being solo. You get more comfortable with the, the, the plot. You get... Uh, more used to things that are a little different from another Star Wars movies. Uh, and, and so, yeah, to me, the more you watch it, the better this movie gets. It is Jaws 2 all day long for me. Now, I, I will concede to you that 
once I give a ranking, the door is not necessarily closed. When mm -hmm. I have my second viewing, I might say, you know what, Scott was right. It is a Jaws 2. I was wrong. Uh, that'll never make it to the airwaves, but I can see <laughs> that it could happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it will because I think when you see it again, you know, the the unfamiliarity is gone, and you can actually just enjoy the movie for what it is. And uh, you know, because there's a lot on that movie. You know, they they have to do the origin story, and they have to include a lot in there. Fortunately, they didn't try to throw everything in there. You know, I was afraid they were going to do the first ten minutes of Last Crusade for a movie. Mm -hmm. And they didn't do that. In fact, uh, towards the end, you know, he's having that fight. Dryden Voss has got his his big blades. He's swinging at him. And I was like, I swear to God, if they cut his chin, oh. I'm going to go off. <laughs> yeah, that, that, just, would, that would have been just taking it one step too far. Yeah, yeah. If, they, if the chin scar had shown up in this movie, I would have lost it because they threw just about everything else at it. Yeah, it's, that's, that's one of the criticisms I've heard of it is they, they, they felt the need to explain everything. Yeah, and they didn't quite explain everything, and I was happy for that. If they had explained everything, like I said, if they'd gone to the chin scar, I uh, would have probably soured on this a it little bit. It did not bother me in Temple of Doom when they did it, but if they did it or, again, it would have. Well, if they had done it in Temple of Doom, it might have bothered not, oh, not me. Not Temple of Doom, since they me, did it in Last Crusade. Crusade. All right. Yeah, no, like, and, well, the says. thing is, the, the, <laughs> the sequence in Last Crusade is so well constructed that you really – it's almost hard to dislike it. It's such a charming sequence. Well, that one, in, in 10 minutes, we get everything. The fear of snakes. In 10 minutes, you get we snakes, get... <laughs> you get the fedora, you get the bullwhip, you get the scar. Yeah, you get everything. Yeah. So, But we, you know what? We'll talk about that movie some other time. Yes, or, we will. Or that movie will get discussed some other time. I don't know if it'll be with you or somebody else, to be honest with you. <laughs> but as, as we were discussing earlier, we do need to get you on to discuss a non-Star Wars movie sometime in the not-too-distant future. I'll do that. You let me know what you'll you'll let me know in private what movie you want to cover, and we'll we'll get to it. All right, I'll gladly do it. All right, and so that'll do it for this episode. I want to thank you guys for coming on with me and spending uh, spending your morning talking about this. Uh, I enjoyed it. I hope you did too, and I hope everybody listening enjoyed it as well. The seat taken. Nobody's in the seat, and I ain't taking from. So this is, uh, Sabak? Sabak. Sabak. Got it. You played before? A couple times, yeah. Captain Lindo Karazin. On solo. Looks like you're, uh, having a good day. I'm a lucky guy. Can I ask you a question, Captain Calrissian? Anything, Han? It's Han, but that's okay. I heard a, uh, story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true.